end of the service, we'll have the bag in the back. Somebody standing at the bag in the back. Okay. Thank you. Um, but many of you have been sweet mothers to me. I think of Leslie, who's not here. She's sick this morning, sadly. Has a cough. But she's been a sweet mother to me over the years. And I've told many people this story. But um, it's been over a decade now. But I remember when Nancy and I were still dating. And we were just getting to know Carl and Leslie. But we knew them enough to trust them. And I remember after dinner at their house, out in the shop with Carl. Carl and I went out together in the shop. Nancy and Leslie stayed inside and were talking. And I asked Carl if he would mind having him and Leslie just get to know Nancy more and give me their thoughts on Nancy, whether they thought she would make a good wife. And I believe we had that dinner. Either, it was either Saturday or Friday evening. It, was, it wasn't very long because I remember, I specifically remember we were in the warehouse and we were walking up the steps Sunday morning for worship practice. And I, walk, I got arrived at the same time as Carl and Leslie. And we were walking up the steps, and Carl stopped me, and he said, you know, you mentioned you wanted Leslie to get to know Nancy, and you wanted us to get to know Nancy. Well, she had, she had thoughts already after one night, and she, her words, she interrupted her husband and just said, I think you would be an idiot to not marry that woman. And she was right. I would have been. And so uh, I, we have many fathers and mothers. I have many fathers and mothers in this church, and Nancy and I are very thankful for that. Leslie's advice was correct, and uh, if this is your church, make the more mature saints in our church. Let them be mothers and fathers to, to you. They are very helpful. You'll be blessed for it. Well, hopefully you found your way to Galatians 2, and we will be starting in verse 15 today, and hopefully we will make it through the rest of the chapter. Let me read our passage, though. Starting in Galatians 2, verse 15, Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove to be a transgressor. I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, once again we come to you this morning, on a Sunday morning, and we ask you to be kind to your people and to bless the reading and preaching of your word. Your word is life, and this gospel message that we've just read of is salvation for our souls. Feed us. And quench our thirsty hearts this morning. With your living word, we pray. Amen. So remember, Paul, last week, he's, he's defending his gospel message to the Galatians, right? He's been doing that 
for the last two chapters. And he tells them last week in Galatians 2 that he even corrected Peter, who was, for his sin, who was reneging on what he knew to be true. And so when these men from James came, Peter, who had been happy to break the dietary laws and eat with Gentiles, so he wasn't following the Jewish custom, he was eating with the Gentiles. He was happy to do that for a while. But then these men come, and Peter is fearful of them for whatever reason, so he stops eating with the Gentiles, and because he's a leader of so many, many of the Jews start following suit. And it was teaching the people, if you remember from last week, that there was this division between Jews and Gentiles. And certainly the Gentiles were likely starting to obey, thinking they had to obey the law in order to be right with God. They wanted to be true and faithful Christians. This is what many of the opponents of Paul were claiming to the Galatians, but Paul confronts Peter to his face and in front of everyone. And then he continues, he continues this in verse 15. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, real quick, because it will be important in verse 17, when Paul says that we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, he's not saying that the Jews weren't sinners, but the Gentiles, they were sinners. No. The word sinner here is more of a limited, used in more of a limited sense. So the Jews, before Christ, they would have seen the other nations as Gentile sinners, meaning those that didn't have the law. They ate things that were unclean. They didn't follow the ceremonies that God had given them. Those were Gentile sinners. But now it's not a sin to eat those things that were once unclean. So those things that used to make Gentiles sinners, they're no longer truly sinful in God's kingdom. So Paul is saying, hey, we're Jews by birth. We were given the law. We obeyed the the law. We observed the ceremonies. We are not Gentiles. Yet we ourselves, who are Jews, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. I had mentioned last week, how Peter knew Paul's teaching to be true because of his vision in Acts 10. And Paul confirms that when he says that even though we are Jews, we ourselves, we know that a person is not justified by works. Peter, you know this. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus. We as Jews, we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not of works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul and Peter, both Jews, and yet they both knew that no one could be justified by works of the law. So they, sh- they shared the same faith and the same theology, and they both trusted in Christ and his work in order to be made right with God. We ourselves, he's saying, we no longer have to, no longer trust in our ability to try to keep the law. No, instead we put our faith in Christ. So how dare you try to trick the Gentiles? Why, how dare you try to teach others 
into thinking that they need to start obeying the law when you, Peter, you know that nobody can be justified by it. And this is where Roman Catholics go very wrong. And maybe you've wondered, how, do, how does a Roman Catholic read the same verses like we do but then hold to some of the stuff that they hold to? So the Roman Catholics, when they, when they see this phrase, works of the law in Galatians, they refer it just to ceremonies. Okay? So nobody's saved by observing religious ceremonies, in short. And so that's how they can say that they hold to the phrase that no one is justified by works of the law, and yet they still have meritorious works that they would hold to. And so they say Paul's only talking about the ceremonial law, but not the moral law. But Paul doesn't have that in mind, and the rest of Galatians makes that clear. I had a roommate in college for two years, my freshman and sophomore year. He's a dear friend. He was a devout Catholic, and I remember listening to a sermon on Galatians. And this idea of being justified by grace alone was the topic. And I was listening to it on my stereo, and he was there. I don't know what he was doing, maybe doing homework. And at the end of the sermon, he just said, well, that's part of it. See, this is where Roman Catholics err greatly, and it's worthy of strong rebuke. And I'm only making passing comments about this, but if you want to read more about this, you can read Calvin's, Calvin's commentary on this passage. He has some helpful stuff there. But let us continue to verse 17. But if our endeavor to be justified in but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul does this stuff in verse 17 often. He poses kind of a question that he expects somebody might be asking, and then he answers it. You can think of Romans 6 when Paul gives an explanation right before in Romans 5 of our peace with God through faith. And he talks about how there's death in Adam, but there's life in Christ because of Christ. And then in Romans 6, he begins with, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so Paul does something similar here in verse 17, anticipating that a Jew might say, well, if you're telling a Jew that it's okay to act like a Gentile and not obey the law and not follow these ceremonies and not follow these dietary restrictions, then is Christ just the servant of sin? Because now they're just acting like Gentile sinners? Now this sense of sinner is the same that we saw in verse 15. Gentile sinners are sinners were sinners because they weren't circumcised. They didn't eat the same things, as I mentioned. But now those things are no longer sins. You don't have to be circumcised. So a Gentile isn't eating something unclean. But Paul is talking to the Jew who would foolishly argue, saying, hey, if you're telling Jews that they can just act like Gentile sinners, well, it seems like following Christ just makes you act like a sinner. 
So isn't Christ the author of sin? He says, of course not. Just because Christ frees you from the works of the law doesn't mean that he's the agent of sin because those things are no longer requirements in God's kingdom. In verse 18, he continues to explain how Christ is not the author of sin because he says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And so the question is obviously, well, what is he talking about? What is it that Paul has torn down? Well, Paul has torn down the law as a means to justification. But I think it's helpful to point out here something that we might often forget or not think about. It's important that you make a distinction between what the Old Testament actually taught and expected versus what the Pharisees and man used the law to do. Okay? Let me explain. Often we think, when we think about the Old Testament, we think, okay, God comes and he says first, hey, here's the law. You should try to follow this. Try to follow it on your own strength. You don't need faith. You don't need to trust me. You just pick yourself by the bootstraps and you obey the law. That was the Old Testament. And then we think, oh, God says, like, oh, you failed to obey the law, so here's Christ now instead. Try this faith thing now. You, you tried the law. You tried, tried obeying it. I gave it to you. That, did, that didn't work out. So now let's try faith. Let's try faith in Christ. And it's easy to think that way because Paul in the New Testament is constantly correcting that view of the law. The idea that people would try to use it as a ladder to get to God in obedience and make their own righteousness by their good works. But that's not what the Old Testament was like. That's not what God intended in the Old Testament. The law alone, it's easy. So many men turn the law into this works-based righteousness. But the law alone, yes, it was never enough. But it was never supposed to be separated from faith. Okay? Faith was to be throughout all of the Old Testament and throughout all the New Testament. Paul makes that clear when he talks about Roman when he talks in Romans and in this letter and then Galatians. Faith was always needed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It was not as if Moses gave the law and then he expected the Jews to just obey it on their own strength with no faith in God. You know, John Piper, when he was talking about the law being given to Israel, he uses this illustration of the law being a railroad track to guide Israel's obedience. And the, edge, the engine that was supposed to pull the person along the track was God's grace and the power of the Spirit. And the coupling between the car and the engine was faith. So that in the Old Testament, just like the New Testament, salvation was by grace through faith along the track of obedience or sanctification. So in both the Old Testament and New Testament, faith was required for salvation. But this idea has never been popular throughout history because we want to work for our salvation. We want to gain it through our efforts. And so he goes on to say that the Pharisees and some of the Jews and, and many of us today, we take that, that law, we take those railroad tracks that was supposed to guide us, 
We lift it up off the ground, and we place it up against heaven's door, and we turn it into a ladder that we just try to climb. So now the law is no longer this thing guiding us, telling us what pleases God. Now the law is now trying to become this means that I use to climb up this ladder to get to God. This is what Paul has torn down. This misuse of the law as a way on its own for salvation to the Jews. You end up transgressing the law when you use it as a ladder to show your moral superiority or your fitness to salvation. You try to prove it to God and you misuse the law. The law was never meant to be something for the Jews to say, I don't need faith. Look how good I am at keeping the law. And yet this is what the Pharisees often did. And Paul continues to support this idea in verse 19. He says, For though I, for though through the law I died to the law, so that, excuse me, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. This is what the law brings. We don't ascribe to Christ what properly belongs to the law. It's not that Christ destroys the righteousness of the law. No, the law slays its disciples. He's pushing back against the idea that people could actually live by the law itself and against the idea that people must live by the law and work towards salvation. It's not possible. The circumcision party would have been arguing that this idea of faith in Christ, it annihilates righteousness. That's not true. It's actually the law itself that forces us that forces us to die to itself because it threatens our own destruction. It leaves nothing but despair, and it shows us all of our failures. That's what the law does. It shows you how bad you are at following God. By the law, we realize that we have death in our bodies. But this is how it must be in order for you to turn repentance and have faith in Christ. The law was always supposed to be this mirror to show us our sins. And then we turn to faith and repentance. This is what some have yet to understand. Some look at your life and you see all this failure in your life. Some of these sins may not be, some of these things may not be sins, you just feel like they're sins. But lots of those failures likely are sins. You're not good. You're not faithful as you ought to be. You don't keep your word to God and your promises. You haven't obeyed perfectly. You keep messing up time and time again. You're weak and you're seeing all these sins in your life because that is what the law of God is for. That is part of what the law of God is for. It's this mirror to show you how bad you are and it leads you to realize that Hey, on your own, you have no hope. You're not a good Christian on your own. And so the law of God is actually, in that moment, it's doing a fantastic job at what it's supposed to do, what it was designed for. It's designed to help lead you to faith in Christ as your only hope for salvation, so that through the law, you die to the law, so that you might live to Christ. As long as you try to make the law this ladder, 
to prove yourself to God or to others, to show that you can be a good Christian, you will be miserable because you're going to fail at it. If you try to lose the law, you will never live to God. You'll never feel close to God if you try to use the law like that because it's actually the exact opposite of how God designed it. And this is Paul's whole point and why he cares so much that the Galatians get this right because he knows that the Jews make it Jesus plus obedience to the law. They will never feel close to God. They will never get close to God because it's not possible. And we must learn this. If you want to be close to God and actually live to God, you must let the legalism in your life die. You cannot use your own obedience as a ladder to show God that you deserve his love because it will crush you and it must crush you so that you finally turn in faith to God, realizing that Christ is your only hope for salvation, not obedience to the law. Paul continues in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This, these two verses, these are the, this is the mystery of the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ. What does it mean that I have been crucified with Christ? Well, first it means that Christ's terrible death on the cross shows how miserable and hopeless and awful my sinful condition is. That the most perfect, innocent, loving man the world has ever seen had to die for me shows me how awful my sinful condition is before God and how hopeless I am on my own. And when you finally believe that Christ died for you because you were so awful and needed help and needed saving, you were awful at obeying the law yourself as a means for your salvation. Your proud self, which used to love to try to climb this ladder that leaned upon the door of heaven, that proud self dies with Christ so that when Christ died, I died. And what remains when that part of you dies? Well, he says, Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who live. My sinful flesh was crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As a twig gets power from its root, from the roots, so a Christian gets his power from Christ. This is conversion. That I died with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who reigns and lives in me. A Christian is not a person who believes the teachings of the Bible. Does it make you a Christian? Satan believes many of the teachings of the Bible. A Christian is a person who has died with Christ, whose stiff neck was broken, whose brazen forehead was shattered, whose stony heart has been crushed, whose pride has been slain, whose life is now mastered by Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul continues and he says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So yes, I'm still here in this new life, but I have this new life with Christ who lives in me. And this new life I live, I'm not living it like I used to. 
I'm not living it where I tried to prove my self-reliance to God and to others. No, this life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, such much, this is so much more of a freeing way to live than trying to live by the law. Much better it is to die to the law and live to Christ. So do not make Christ to die who have died for no purpose. That's what Paul talks about in verse 21. Don't go back and start trying to live by the law. If righteousness could be obtained by the law, then Christ died for nothing. But Paul's made it clear that righteousness could never be obtained by self-reliance and hard obedience to the law. It's always been designed to lead us to faith in God. So stop working for your own salvation. Enjoy the gift that God has given you because he loved you. Christ loves you. He gladly gave himself up for you. Not because you were any good on your own. No, you couldn't make it up the righteousness ladder very far, and that's okay. God knows that, and he wants you to rest in him. He wants you to have faith in him and trust and enjoy the work that he did for you. Ironically, when you start to do that, you'll actually, and you start to live by faith, you actually gain the power to be more obedient to the law. To be more obedient to God. You actually start obeying God more because it's Christ in you living. It's not you trying to live on your own strength. It's Christ living in you. But if you're not careful, you'll start sliding back and trying to walk up this ladder. Even though you know this lesson, how many times have you learned this lesson and then tried to go back and prove yourself to your wife? to your kids, to your neighbors, to those in church. So continue to trust in Christ and not yourself. And if you do so, you'll actually end up obeying God better because it's not you living. It's not just you obeying on your own, but it's Christ living in you. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gospel message. Thank you for the freedom that it brings us. Father, we know because we've tried how depressing and hard it can be. How much it weighs us down when we try to live by the law and gain your favor and your pleasure by our obedience and our own strength. But thank you for the gospel. We do thank you for your law. We love it. It is good. It shows us our great need for you. Father, help us let the law have its proper place in our life and not be the means for us attaining our salvation apart from faith in you. Help us continue to place our trust in Christ's death and resurrection for our only hope of salvation. And when our sinful flesh tries to return to our old ways, and tries to make the law a ladder, see how high we can climb up on our own to obtain our own salvation, would you quickly discipline us? Quickly discipline that pride and correct us to remember that our only hope is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, we rest 
in this this morning. We rest in you this morning. We enjoy and thank we enjoy and we thank and we thank you for the faith and the life that we have in Christ that you've been so gracious to give to us. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.